Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Yes, Superhero Ethics fans, I promise I have not forgotten you, even though so many things have been all Kenobi all the time. We've had a couple of episodes lined up for you. One of them I had to cancel due to getting sick. Another one we had some audio problems, so we're going to have to re-record it. It's just been a little bit of a circus of uh, chaos around here. But uh, myself and Paul Hoppy pulled together a topic we've been talking about wanting to talk about for a while. Uh, we got a little bit of a grab bag for you, but we're starting with the idea of those darn kids. You know, looking at why is it that when media wants to tell us that someone's really bad, they want to tell us that something is a real problem, they put kids in danger. And like, what does that say about the way our society values life in general and, and the, the emphasis it puts on, on kids' lives and, and all, all the many topics that come out of that, plus whatever the heck is on our minds. So... It's a grab bag episode focusing on kids, focusing on some other questions, probably talk about some content warnings. We'll get into a whole bunch of stuff. All that more with myself and Paul Hoppy right after this commercial break that I have absolutely zero control over. Circus of Chaos. Welcome back to Circle of Chaos. That was Paul Hoppy. This is Matthew Fox. I use they, them pronouns. And we are glad to be back talking to you, Mr. Hoppy. What's on your mind? How does this uh, topic of kids come to to for you? It's it's Master Hoppy. Um, okay. But no. Um, actually, that I, I've probably been called Master Hoppy by kids more than – definitely more than Mr. Hoppy. But I mean, the, the state of California through the university system did recognize that I am a master oh, of divinity. Sure. So yeah. I, I think we each have, through our various schooling systems, a recognized claim to the title of master. That's true. That's true. And that feels very relevant since Anakin yeah. was so, so very put out that he did not receive the title of master. He was. You know? He was. I could see that being irksome. But, you know. Wouldn't lead me to go kill a bunch of kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so that's kind of the jumping off point for this episode. And um, this is not – we're not going to get into things specific to uh, the Kenobi TV show. So no spoilers for that. Uh, if you want to hear more of our discussion on that, please go to the Star Wars Universe podcast where we've been doing episode-by-episode episode coverage. But I think it is no surprise to someone – you know, you're fairly disconnected from Star Wars – you probably know that a major plot point is Order 66, during which uh, our hero who becomes the villain, Anakin Skywalker, goes to kill a whole bunch of Jedi, including a scene that is, I think, quite quite validly seen as very emotionally powerful, in which he is known to kill younglings, to kill little kids. Um, but it's, it's led to some conversations, especially how it's come up in other things and the way this issue's come up in a lot of our other media about... Why is it that when a show wants to tell us that something is really bad, it's not okay to just kill adults? You got to go into killing kids. Uh, and Paul, this is a topic I know you have a lot of thoughts on. So kind of take it away. What's what's kind of your your feelings on this? I do have a lot of thoughts. I'll I'll start by just saying you know categorically, you know, killing kids is awful, mm-hmm. right? Like I I think we can probably mostly all agree on that, I would say. Um, yep. I, I would hope. But, like, you know, killing killing adults is horrible as well. Mm-hmm. You know, killing, um, you know, even, like, older people is horrible as well. And I think those three things kind of are... Not that older people aren't adults, but I mean, like, I, right. I think people are treated differently in terms of 
how their lives are valued by other people, by society or whatever. And I mean, I think all animal lives and, you know, are, are valuable as well. And, and killing is, is horrible, just like broadly speaking. But, you know, I, I, I guess I am in a comfortable place feeling like I don't share society's opinion in the first place, mm-hmm. right? But to me, it's like if killing kids is a 10, then killing adults is a 10, you know, and killing an adult, no matter how old or young they are, is a 10. Like, you know, and granted the context of like, okay, well, this is self-defense or this is like clearly malicious or whatever. I mean, not that there's like non-malicious, like self-defense versus like in, in some sort of like, you know, elevated scenario versus just like outright murder, right? These things, I think, right. I think sometimes perhaps... um you know, the murder of children is seen as particularly bad because um, because kids are seen as particularly defenseless, right? right. And so I, that's, that's a point I'm sympathetic to, right? It's like, mm-hmm. okay, murdering somebody, you know, it's like shooting someone in the back of the head compared to like, you know, draw. You know, it's like, okay, right. well, both are bad, but like one, the other person has so very little agency. And, and personally, I, I hate the way society treats children. I think... Kids should have um, much more choice and power over their own lives and agency, both in reality and in fiction. Um, but I, I do think that there is, you know, and I mean, the word patronizing kind of feels very appropriate here. But like this idea of like, well, there's nothing worse than killing a child because of like all the potential future. And, you know, I think mm-hmm. that taken to its illogical conclusion, it has, a, you know, it leads us to like, arguments over abortion and, yeah. and choice, right? Um, sure, I think, you know, like I've always thought the, there's a lot of things I think are ridiculous about the anti-abortion, the anti-choice perspectives, the forced forced birth perspectives, really should call them. Yeah. But one thing I've always thought of, especially those folks who will say that they are happily, um, you know, they hate abortion and they're perfectly in favor of the death penalty or things like that. Right. And often what they'll say is like that it's it, – yeah, it's that that that, uh, that fetal life is innocent, that it's – that it's, you know, it's it's the the perfect possibility and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So and, I, and I think it kind of feeds into what you're saying, that, it, that it's, it's a problematic way of viewing things. To for be sure, sure, for sure. And I think children are, are viewed that way a lot when it's like, you know, by the time someone's 10, they've probably done some bad things, you know? Yeah. They've probably done some great things too. You know, and it's like, that's just life. Mm-hmm. And I don't think some lives should be dramatically more valued than others based on, you know, how many years they've they've lived. Right. One thing that occurs to me, and I'm curious how you would see this, is because I think that if as a society we value the lives of kids more, then that is a problem. I do, though, wonder how – because and, and like to give another example um, – from our own lives, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've had two horrible mass shootings, one that happened in Buffalo and was driven by very explicitly racist reasons uh, and was a, mostly it was adults who were killed. And then another that happened in uh, a school in Texas. And the, the, the reasoning of it is less clear. It seems there was less of like kind of a political motivation, more of just a, a person with like a deeply mentally troubled person or whatever it may have been. Uh, and that person killed young kids. And the way the media portrayal has done, it would it would be very easy to forget that the Buffalo killing ever happened. You know, it's been mm-hmm. so much more about the Texas killing. Um, 
and, and I think I have a reason for that that I want to kind of throw out to you, but I wanted to start by saying, to, to you, is that further proof of the kind of thing that you're talking about, about the way that as a society we sort of see the killing of kids as much more outrageous and much more of a problem than the killing of adults? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I mean, I'll just, you know, for the thousandth time, like, reiterate that, like, I don't feel a part of this we, you know, yeah. <laughs> but but I, I understand what you're saying for sure. And yeah, I, I do. I, I think it's also part of, partly like the news cycle and sensationalism and, and that kind of thing, right? Like I think there's yeah. a number of factors here. I also think there were a bunch of other shootings recently that like don't even – like there was – there was someone on a New York subway, right, who who went in and, and tried to kill a bunch of people. Then there were some other, maybe they didn't kill as many people, so it didn't make headlines right. as much. But, yeah, absolutely. I think that the, you know, the, the Texas murders, like, were, occupied a larger place in, um, in sort of the public discourse, largely because there is this, like, bonus outrage kind of you know right. when it when it comes to kids and so, yeah so here's the theory i would throw back at you and i'm curious and also to be clear whenever i say like we as a society i recognize that i'm talking about me and everyone else addressing you the person who stands outside everything fair fair um, i appreciate and I make that. a little bit of fun that. of you about Thank that because i think you're a little more part of society than you want to think but nah. i also think you're a lot less part of society than me calling you we would indicate. Sure, so, sure, yeah, fair, it's, fair. There's middle ground there. There's sure. middle ground there. Um, and also the we can be so changing, you know, like sure. American society is such a, like there's 8 million things that go into that, 8 yeah. million different we's. Yeah, or like 340 million or something. Yeah, well, 170. Yeah, I mean, 340 <laughs> choose, you know, 339 million. So like really the number is like very, 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 very large. No math, but, uh, no so. math. There's a math-free podcast. Mm. Um, 67% of this podcast must have no math. Anyway, the other 37 can have made-up statistics. Oh, um, no. <laughs> you, you had to just go pick two numbers. That, anyway. Yeah. Oh, no, 67 and 33. Yeah, I, yeah. I did the uh, yeah. seven. Okay. Twice. I thought that was on purpose just to irk me. I was close. Um, <laughs> no, it's just bad memories. It was bad math skills. Fair. Here's, here's the thing that I would say as a counterpoint is that and, and this maybe gets into sort of the problems with when media does it. There is something, I think, inherent in most people, particularly people who are parents, that is a, like, we must protect our kids. And that can translate to we, we should protect kids. And part of that is also, you know, this kind of idea of, like, it is, you know, that kids are supposed to bury their parents. Parents aren't supposed to bury their kids. Mm -hmm. To take a line from one of my father's favorite movies. I think it's, it's about, like, a kind of a guy who holds a hospital hostage to make them pay for the, the medical stuff for his kid. I, I never saw it. It seemed like a interesting critique of healthcare, but a kind of ridiculous premise. But mm -hmm. that line is repeated. It's one they hear a lot. That, it, like... The Two Towers also has uh, something like that. Oh, yeah, that's true. Right, that's where... True. Um, the king of Rohan but, buries his son. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I wonder if – how much do you think it is kind of like a societal like valuing of kids' lives higher as much as it is a feeling, particularly in those people who have been parents, but also can bleed into many other people as well, of we are – our job is to protect everyone, but to protect our kids especially. Because, like you said, they're defenseless. Because they're not fully 
seen adults, which we can say is problematic. Like, what role do you think that can, and also just, I mean, there is a genetic component of like, you know, infant youth, infants in almost all species have big, cute eyes because it keeps us from eating the youth. Right, like, there's, right, there's, right, right. It's a gross generalization of evolution, but like there is an evolutionary aspect that, that causes us to feel a protective nature towards youth. Um, how much do you think that plays into like th- those kind of things? Um, how much, but I can't use math, right? Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, just I'll kind of hand wave it and say, I absolutely, I think there's, there's multiple factors. I do think the kind of like biological imperative is surely a big part of it, right? It's, right. it's not just like, societal and you know this sort of software that like we've downloaded collectively regardless or you know or that we've been subjected to and attempted to reject and be like no no wipe that off my hard drive you know um, i like the idea that capitalism is malware <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and uh i mean not just capitalism <laughs> but uh a lot of things yeah yeah but yeah, I, I think there is, I'm sure, some sort of hardwired, like, you know, humans are basically programmed to think little humans are cute so that they don't want to eat them. And like, so they want to try and protect them so the species can go on. Um, you know, personally, I'm like not in that interested in the species like going on, like as if humans are so important. But like, fine, if that's good and important to you, cool. You know, I mean, like, yeah, I mean... Like, children are, like, the future, but, like, so right. are really their children's 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 are more the future, but, like, not, you know, I mean, the future's just the future, and, okay, I, I'm, I'm, now I'm, <laughs> now I'm, like, leaning towards the whole space-time thing. Um, this we'll, is now superhero metaphysics. <laughs> right, we'll, we'll back, we'll back off of that a bit, but, you know, the, I, I do think that there is a sort of, um, not in terms of, like, ethics or morals or valuing in terms of like thinking you know how someone matters in some like special way that everyone's special and like you know kids are extra special because they haven't done a bunch of bad stuff or like you know they have more years in front of them you know unless they get killed um on average though but i i do think that there's there's a fair component of just like utility of the idea that like, oh, you know, these kids are going to be useful to society in the propagation of the species and right. thus we must protect them, you know. And like, right. again, like, yeah, protecting kids, good. Do that for sure. But just don't do that to the exclusion or at the expense of protecting, you know, adults as well. Right. And also, I, like, I don't think there's such a hard line between, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's more of a gradual change anyway. I think it's fair, and I think I think part of why I bring that up is because for me at least, like I don't think that's a bad. Th- I don't think the fact that like, yeah, even me, I'm not a parent. I don't want to be a parent. If I read about a 30 year old person being killed, I think that's terrible. If I read about a 10 year old being killed, I have a different emotional reaction. Mm-hmm. And part of that may be genetic. Part of that may be programmed. I think it's good to unpack that a little bit, but I don't think that that's inherently a bad thing. I think what really bothers me is the degree to which media uses that to manipulate me, you know, mm, and yes. like, um, cause, cause I think, you know, you, one of my best examples of this is I, I feel like in so often in superhero or action movies, you'll get a scene where all of a sudden there's a cute little kid 
who does something cute for 20 seconds, like they lose their doll or they have a cute moment with their mom or they buy an ice cream cone. And so all of a sudden you feel emotionally invested, not just in, will all these people in this, you know, adventure park be eaten by this dinosaur, but will this one little kid? Um, to me, the most egregious example of this is, and here I have a good reason to bash the particular person I'm bashing, um, in the original version of Justice League. You know, mm-hmm. there's this idea that, like, all this area in Russia is going to be harmed. Mm. And all of a sudden, we get, like, three minutes of this Russian family with these cute little kids doing cute little kid things for no other person reason other than to establish the emotional stakes. Right. You know? And I get it. Um, you know, one of the things that I learned when I was doing political advocacy is – if I tell you that this terrible thing happened to 5,000 people, that has one level of emotional fact. But if I say, let me tell you about Betty. And Betty was this person, and she did this thing, and this thing happened to Betty. And then, by the way, also it happened to 5,000 other people. That's a much more effective way to reach you, you know? And so I, I get why they have to do it. I just... I. I find especially when it is just kind of like so shoehorned in for no good reason and so blaringly obvious of it's just and, – and so therefore when it's a kid especially, it just really bothers me. Yeah, it plays to me like crass manipulation, emotional manipulation, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. I, I think that's what it is. And But like, you know, filmmakers do it. The news does it because it's effective. And first of all, like, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a different emotional reaction. You know, that's, I mean, you're, first of all, like your feelings are your feelings, right? Accept them. And if any of them give you real issues, then maybe think about what you can do. Right. But like, um, but yeah. Denying that you're feeling what you're feeling is just never actually going to get you anywhere. Right. That's never the starting point. Right. Um, I do think that sometimes, you know, you can have a feeling and feel like it maybe represents something you'd like to change about yourself and Mm -hmm. then, you know, maybe go about doing that. Whether it's like, oh, did I, you know, not value these characters' lives because, like, they were brown people? Or, like, did I only value this woman's life because she was attractive but then there was another woman who I didn't think was attractive and, like, I didn't value her life as much? I, I don't love that about myself. Maybe I'll... Maybe I'll see if I, you know, how I can kind of change how I think yeah, about do, things. Or do some things. unpacking of where do these feelings come right, from. Right, exactly. And again, like, I think that's a spot where you need to, like, be compassionate with yourself and understanding and be like, you know, you've been programmed to feel that way to some extent, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you know, reprogramming yourself is work. And, you know, but yeah, I do think that feeling a certain way is one thing, but then doing particular things to try to shape a narrative in order to manipulate people is another thing. And like sometimes the goal of that is something that you think is worthwhile, right? When it's like maybe some sort of activism Um, or maybe you're in the news and you're like, well, we want this story to have emotional impact because it really is quite a horrible thing that happened. Right. And so you painted a way to try and play that up. And and yeah, I mean, to your example, I will say you started with 5,000 and then you had 5,001. So that was actually more. <laughs> but, uh, but pe- you know, people are bad at math and big numbers just don't – like people don't have to be bad at math. But I, I kind of feel like people choose to be. But 
not everybody chooses to be. Okay, I'll, I'll roll that back. Um, I think in general, people could interact more effectively with numbers, especially if the way that numbers were taught were more effective and less like wrong, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point to your point is like, yeah, like big numbers. I think most people do not have a very clear concept and that doesn't give a very personal you know, yeah. like, it's like, oh, okay, a million to four million people died. Okay, that I, I guess that sounds like a lot. But that's less than the Holocaust, so maybe it's not that many. It's like... I, I'm not often going to quote Joseph Stalin on this, but I hmm. do think his line that one death is a tragedy, a hundred thousand deaths is a statistic, mm. is actually very telling. You right. Because it's like, you're right, it's like the... The personal feeling of just like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. Yeah, it's it's, you know... When you hear about the death, when you see the pictures of the bodies, when you see these kind of things, but when it's like, oh, was it 80,000 or 100,000? At that point, it, it's become now so much more – I'm trying to think of the word. It's not that's esoteric. I think theoretical. It's that, yeah, theoretical. That's a perfect example. Right. Yeah, it's a, Like you said, it's a statistic. It's right. no longer about this particular connection you have with a person. Yeah, for sure. I know one of our favorite movies is Desperado, mm-hmm. and I'm curious about how you feel about this because Desperado to me is another good example of, of how this can get kind of weird where, you know, forgive me for spoilers for a movie that's 20 years old at this point. We did – if you want to pause it though, we did do yeah, a great yeah, episode on it episode. long, long ago. <laughs> um, but in, you know, in one of the final climactic scenes, his uh, our hero's two best friends come to meet him and they have this epic showdown and both of his friends get shot, or one of them gets shot. They both get shot. One, one gets also like has blown like a, up, right? A rock, yeah, rocket. So yeah. He's probably totally gone. Right. The other one may be dead. We don't know. But there's also been this local kid hanging around who's connected for a hero for maybe a total of like 20 minutes over three days. He's also shot. Our hero grabs the little kid, <laughs> rushes to the hospital without a thought about his two best <laughs> friends who just got killed, maybe. And, like, I think it's, it's it, you know, that to me feels less egregious than, like, in Justice League, because at least that kid was established as a character. And, like, his father, you know, he was using his guitar to deal drugs. and was part of, it, it, Like, his character was established into the plot. Yeah. But it still, I thought, was a kind of, like, okay, I see what you're doing there, that you want us to get, like, oh, the kid got killed instead of it being his best friend. Right. You know? Or didn't get killed but got shot and right. thus there's or injured somehow. Um, yeah, I... I I th- I think his friends are not showing up in the sequel. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's very true. I'll say that. Um, yeah, I, I you know, and then I mean, a lot of people get killed in that movie, right? And mm-hmm. there there is this like you know using the kid in that manner. I think that's a good example. I do think that it's different than say the Justice League example or like every superhero cartoon ever when there's a fire in a building and someone's like my. You know, and then they'll like flash us, like run up the side of the building and be like, oh, here. Um, And, you know, it's like, I mean, I don't think kids shouldn't be in things. You know, I mean, I think there there should be kids in things. Right. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it it the fact that that kid in that movie is like a character who has a real conversation on a couple of occasions with um the main character, I think, makes it play very different than if it had just been, like, some random kid where it just feels like, oh, let's just, you know, do yeah. this. Um, you know, I, they do – there is the expression, like, you know, um, 
you know, save the cat, kick the dog or something like that, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, you want to show that someone's bad, like you show them kicking a dog or something. Or, right. you know, you want to show that they're a hero, you literally show them saving a cat, like in the Superman movies, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, on the one hand, it's nice that, like, to see animal lives actually valued to some extent, right? Of course, these are generally pets, which are valued disproportionately to other animals. But, um, but yeah, it's like there's these things that, you know, it doesn't always have to be a kid. Like, you could have an adult, you know, and it's like there's – you could kind of try to find a way of, of maybe diversifying your, like, people who need to get saved and elicit an emotional reaction from the audience. And honestly, I think you could do that really easily with, like, you just have a couple lines of dialogue. Like, you show, you know – a. 10 seconds of them just being human, you know, or if they're an animal, being an animal and just doing their thing, you know. Um, So, yeah, Yeah, like it doesn't have it could be the stray cat in the building. It doesn't have to be the pet. Sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, the horse on someone's farm. Yeah. Or just like like, a goat somewhere. I don't know where goats are, but (laughs) (laughs) I saw a goat like on the side of a mountain one time. I'm like, oh, that there's a goat. Okay, I yeah, mountain I mean, goat. goat goat goats are in mountain areas. Yeah, like, so like you know, like that. I don't know. I'd like to see that. You know, Mount Rushmore's yeah. falling, collapsing. This is actually where I saw a goat. We went, we drove by Mount Rushmore, and then there was this like goat standing on the side of some like mountainy thing. And like mm-hmm. I don't know, you see a mountain collapsing, and then like superheroes like, oh, I'm gonna save the goat. Yeah, I don't know. I'd like that. Because you're right, and I admit that is something that you you have really helped me to have a better understanding of. Is that you know. To me, and I don't want to get us too deep into this topic, but I think it's, it's tied in as we're talking about the different ways we different value, the ways we value life. You know, there's always the kind of like the trolley problem is the best example. But these kind of movies, like you know, our hero has two rooms that are on fire, and often the question is like, do you do you save the one person you love, or do you save like the ten strangers? And right. the idea being that you want them to save the ten strangers, but you also understand why they save the person that, you, that they love. And then – but then also becomes like, but what's your actual professional responsibility? You know, like the cops, for example, in that Texas town who sure. who rescued their own kids instead of facing danger to save other people's kids. Um, for me, I think if I saw like, okay, in this room there's three people and in this room there's three animals, like to me that's a no-brainer in terms of I am going to value the human life higher. And – I think talking with you about it has kind of maybe at least questioned like, okay, but why is that? You know, mm-hmm. why is it that I established that that kind of life is of a higher value than others? Because I, I, for you, I think like that that wouldn't be an easy question, right? The like those are it's three lives in either case. Yeah, I mean these type of hypotheticals, I'm always like, all right. I mean this this isn't this isn't how things really like happen right but like i mean but it's how it happened in the movies all the time no i know and that's those are those are not scenes that i i'm like okay we're doing this one again you know the only time i enjoy it is in the good place when they're like doing a thing out of it you know right like that's a that's a different story um and it's, but it's, I mean, I think like what happened with the cops in Uvalde or like what ha- like firemen face situations like this a lot, you know, where it's like, OK, which room do you try to rescue people out of first, you know, and like they're taught specific calculus about how they're supposed to do it and things like that. I mean, for me, I think so, like in terms of like risk reward assessment, it's like 
Which of the, like, it's not like they're going to be two equidistant rooms that are going to have exactly the same logistics. You know, if it's like, well, this room, I think I can definitely get in and get people out. Okay, I'll do that. But, you know, also, so here is where, like, you know, saving kids versus saving, you know, middle-aged people versus saving older people. Like, you know, maybe it is like, yeah, who, who has a chance to get out on their own? That might be the last person I help, but maybe there's somebody I can help and then they can help get someone else out and maybe that's going to work. Personally, in terms of like decisions like that, like you just do the best you can. Like you immediately try and help whoever's closest to you, I think, and then you go and try and help the next person. That's that's how I see it. And I, I basically like reject the premise of like, you know, I mean, I yes, in terms of theoretically, like I... I'm not really asking humans to put human and um, non-human animal lives on exactly the same level. Like, I think that's too much to ask. Like, mm-hmm. that's just that's just not what's going to happen. For some people, right. some people are like, oh, I would definitely save the animals and, like, the humans can, you know, burn. Like, yeah. that's fine. I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, but, like, for me, it's just, like, asking for a level of consideration that puts, you know, those lives above a human's comfort, you know, and pleasure and whatever. And, um, and yeah, it's like, you know, for me, it would just honestly be a logistical, like what, what do I think I can actually effectively accomplish here? You know? No, and I get that. And I think, um, when I studied ethics in grad school, you know, one of the people we studied with had done like ethical consulting for the fire department. Mm -hmm. And they said that, yeah, that the idea is you're always supposed to be taught to just do what you can in the moment. Mm -hmm. But that also you should recognize – like that you need to be able to recognize when is it that you look in the two rooms and see, okay, that one is clearly more important. And and, and how is it like your own biases are playing into that? Right. And is that a problem? You know, so that's the like – we're never going to want someone to sit down and do the like, okay, let me ethically ponder this as this building is falling apart Yeah, that's just – that's not a thing. That's Yeah. <laughs> but that like how – how these things play out, you know, in turn, you know, that our, our, our racial and our ethnic and our ageist and all these biases do affect us in those kind of ways, you know? And I think that that's, to me, that that's the reason why these conversations are interesting, especially because of the way the media, sh- you know, because I think, yeah, if you grow up, if everything you watch always says save the kids first, then that's what you're taught. That's what you learn. Right. Women and, and children maybe, yeah. first. Okay. That's a whole yeah. other thing, too. I mean, the, the, yeah, the gender part of it's also right. a whole other thing. Like... <laughs> Um, but yeah, and so it is like, you know, yeah, like, cause I think you're right. I think, I think those theoretical things are never going to be as exact and as perfect as, as the theoretical discussion. I just think it, it is helpful at least to discuss it because it does, it, it shapes and informs the biases and, and, and also how we look at the media that, that talks about it all. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's more like, I think the conversation can begin and end with like, Make the decision based on the logistics, basically. Don't, you know, be aware of whatever biases you might have and then try and not have those factor in, right? And and in order to do that, I don't think that's something that you do at the moment. I think that's you do, like, away from the table in, like, poker speak, you know, like, on your own. Be like, let me try and reduce these biases in myself. Because I think that's a a thing a person can do, right? I mean, I think that's work you can do. I I, I think for a lot of people... Again, like, it, it's hard to predict what anyone does in the moment. But I think, like, even just for myself, 
if I saw like two kids in one room and five adults in another, I'm probably trying to rescue the two kids, mm -hmm. you know, and then and this conversation is kind of a way of thinking about like, oh, actually, is that what it should be? Is that a bias I should be having? Is that a bias I shouldn't be having? You know, and what are the way what are the things that have taught me that that's how to value these things? Right. Yeah. And I mean, for me, like strategically, I'd be like, well, you know, if it's a group of like apparently able bodied adults, like if I can make it so that they can get out on their own, maybe I can recruit some of them. And it's like if you're a professional firefighter, maybe that's not how you think. But if right. you're a person in an emergency situation, on the other hand, if it's like, oh, it would be useful to have a kid who could crawl through this thing and then move that thing. I'm, I'm like grabbing a kid first. I'm like, hey, kid, kid, help me with this. <laughs> All right. OK, I'll lift this thing off you. Go on. Get under there. <laughs> unlock that door. Thank you. OK, let's go. You know, yes, that's exactly how I would uh, sound in one of these situations, by the way. The exasperation in your voice is the very essential part of that as well. <laughs> hey, kid, come here. <laughs> All right, so dismissed. In, ter in terms of the way stories use that then, what do you think of the Order 66 scene in uh, Revenge of the Sith where you do see Anakin walk in? Because I'll say for me, and again, again, this is one of those times where it's the question of like, are you judging a person based on our own moral standards or on theirs? Right. I think that Anakin definitely has a very strong protect kids first. Mm-hmm. And so for Anakin, like, it didn't feel gratuitous either when they said that he killed the Tuscans in the second movie or when you see him. Happily, we don't see him kill kids in the third movie, but we see him pretty clearly about to kill kids. You know, right, with the, right. Like, it's implied. The, but, I mean, right. it, expli very explicitly implied. And, and it's the perfectly toe-headed, most adorable little boy they could find, which is part of also a little bit eye-rolly for me. Sure. But, like, to me, those scenes feel like they're not gratuitous in that they do – they're showing how far Anakin is crossing a line that we know that he would have and we know that anyone around him would have. H how do they feel to you? Yeah, so I'm not sure I actually saw that scene because my eyes were still stuck up in the top of my head from the eye roll after Mace Windu's massive backswing instead of just running the Emperor through. But that's fair. Uh, if I recall what happened, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's a really good point in terms of the distinction between we are creating this scene to make the audience feel something particular and mm -hmm. we are creating this scene in order to say something about the character. And I imagine the motivation was probably both, right? Mm -hmm. That um, on the one hand, I think it works very well as far as, you know, the Emperor getting Anakin to do something that's so far across a line for Anakin that he doesn't think Anakin will ever uh, come back from that. You know, right. whoopsie, guess you were wrong, but it took a while, right? Mm -hmm. um, but like... I, so I think it definitely works on that level, and I appreciate that. And I don't have any problem with the scene in and of itself, you know. Um, yeah. Overall, all the, the clones attacking the Jedi and that somehow actually working, that's a, that's a whole different thing, <laughs> right? That's mm -hmm. actually the part of Order 6 that really, like, annoys me. Um, and I'll be honest, I find the clones killing all these Jedi that I know who they are more upsetting than killing a bunch of anonymous children, you know? Mm -hmm. If yeah. those kids had been developed more and if they were, like, if I'd seen the Clone Wars TV series first and then mm -hmm. a bunch of those kids who we'd seen were in that scene, right. 
that would hit Wookie different. Little Wookiee Jedi and the, all the little Padawans who go look for their lightsabers. Exactly. Yeah, that would hit so differently. And you can think, oh, well, maybe, well, it was those kids or those kids were there, right? And then that adds some emotional resonance, I think, you know. And But that's because they're people. They're characters who've been developed. Here, they're just like, all right, they're cute, but, like, I don't know them. And it's not like yeah. I can't feel something for someone I don't know, but, like, I definitely feel more for someone I know. You know, for sure. And so I, I do think that was a combination of, you know, some level of emotional manipulation, which I think was, you know, a lot going on in that movie and the previous movie. And um, combined with like, no, something that was very reasonable in story as far as how Order of 66 played out. That is the part that I think makes kind of the most sense from a character yeah. standpoint. I could see that. I can see that. There's a, a, a related topic I want to transition us into. Is there anything else on this topic of sort of just the specific idea of the kind of ageism and, and how we value different lives at different ages that you wanted to comment on? Um, I mean, I could go into a whole thing, but I I don't think I, – I, I will say – yeah, okay, okay, I'll, I'll do this. <laughs> um, so I remember when – so my, my dad died when he was 41 and I was 8. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that sucked. Like, that was a very formative moment for me in terms of kind of, like, understanding the world and life and death. And I I do think, you know, like, on the one hand, like, I learned a lot from it. Um, mm-hmm. And But on the other hand, like, obviously a very traumatic experience for me and my mom, right? And, right. you know, I remember my dad's parents. I remember that was the first time that I realized that idea of like, oh, like a, a child dying before their parents is kind of a particular thing, you know? Right. Similar to like a child's parents dying before they're an adult, you know? Yeah. Um, is, is also an, a different particular thing. Um, and kind I, of... Just jumping yeah. in for that a second. Yeah, yeah. like I... My mother died when I was, you know, in my 30s, and it was it, – it sucked and it had a major effect on me. But just in the way you and I have talked, I think it affected us in very different ways because of exactly what you're talking about. For yeah. sure. For sure, yeah. Um, you know, and obviously one thing could affect one person in a different way than the same timing and whatever affected another person, right? right? But I do think there are – you know, generally speaking, there's going to be some similarities based on, like, how old you are when – when, when someone you love dies, right? And someone right. who's a huge part of your life. It wasn't until I think sometime later that like I realized how much of, you know, of that tragedy was like, was really like his tragedy, right? Like mm-hmm. he was 41. Um, he was a cameraman, you know, he worked in film and, and commercials and w- had just completed this program um, for like learning to be more of a cinematographer. And I think he'd been, you know, director of photography on some commercials then and was trying to get more into like, um, you know, TV and and movies in in that capacity. And, you know, he just, he never got to do that. And, you know, he also never got to see his kid grow up. And um, I think he, he would have loved that I was into a lot of the things that I was into, you know? Um, I mean, he's the person who taught me chess, you know? Um, he, he, he liked sports and loved martial arts and, and music. And I think, you know, seeing that those were things that I got into, um, I, I think he would have really enjoyed that, you know? And that was something that we yeah. could have shared, you know? And, and I mean, my mom, we have connection with those things as well. But, like, you know, that's 
that's that, but there's something else, you know? And, and so for, for him to never get those experiences, you know, and he'd also just like quit smoking and then he died of cancer, which is kind of like, you know, hilarious in the way that things that are horrible are hilarious. It's like, of course, of course, you know, but also like, yeah, in those tragic moments, you find those moments of hilarity, you know? Right. Exactly. Like there's humor and everything. It's just like, you know, I'll choose which parts I want to laugh at, you know, <laughs> and don't my, tell my me. Decided to go, yeah. My mother had quit smoking around the time she got diagnosed with lung cancer. And then she was like, well, I'm going to start smoking again. Yeah. <laughs> my sister were like, okay, I guess nothing she, we can say here. She actually like <laughs> snuck out of the hospital for a smoke, right? Yep. Or, yeah. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Um, anyway, sorry. You're no, no, story. it's fine. It's fine. Um but then I remember it was it was not that many years later that both of my mom's parents died. And mm. at the time, you know, I was a teenager. I was like 16, 17, I think. And like I remember sort of feeling this like – I was like, well, but they're like in their 80s, you know. And like they had yeah. full lives, you know. They, they got to see their kids grow up, you know. They got to have – a couple of grandkids, even though tragically one of their grandkids was like not allowed to see them by their totally out there mom who was not, mm-hmm. not their kid, but you know, um, but yeah, so I think I was like fairly inset, like I was upset, right? Like yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't happy <laughs> that, that my grandparents were dying. Um, and like, I understood that my mom was upset as well, but I think because I had had a very particular experience of having my dad die when I was a little kid, I I wasn't – I don't want to say able because that kind of like feels like a cop-out. More more like mm-hmm. willing or just I, – I didn't, right? I didn't sympathize as well as I could have, I think, mm-hmm. you know, with my mom when her parents died because – in some way, I felt like, well, you're you're supposed to die when, you know, when you get yeah. to that age. And, I mean, you know, there's an element of truth of, like, yeah, nobody's lived to 150, right? right. I mean, un- unless you take the Bible literally and then, you know, you got some Methuselahs and stuff. But, like... Very Christian. I do not. You're right. not supposed to. The Fair. Bible says don't take itself literally. Right. So that's another story. Yeah, kind of important point. Uh, but, you know. But, like, you know, the point being, like, yes... Humans die at some point, right? And so right. there is some extent to which you can say, okay, if you have lived a certain amount of time and you have done the things that you wanted to do, like I can understand how a person would then be more at peace with dying at that point and the people around them would maybe be comfortable with that and like this is right. kind of like a life complete or whatever, right? But – at the same time, if that person's like, no, I want to keep living, like, I don't think their death is not a tragedy. You know, it's reality. It's like, and so so I have a cousin who I found out, what's today? Thursday? I think I found out on Saturday. So within the last week died of COVID, right, mm. in Florida. And this is upsetting to me, you know. Yeah, I, sure. I feel this is a tragedy, when I tell someone that he's a cousin, a, I think a second cousin, maybe once removed. I'm not sure exactly how it works um, with the cousin numbers. That I never got cousin math. But, you know, when I tell you that he was 96, there's probably a different reaction than if you thought this yeah. was one of my cousins who's like 30, right? Yeah, because I'll admit, when I hear the word cousin, I think someone who's your contemporary. Right, exactly. You know? And it's like, I mean, we're cousins. Everyone's cousins if you go back far right. enough, right? 
Like that's just that's how it is. But but yeah, so so then it's like, oh well, okay, well, yeah, you know. But you know, he was sick for three weeks, miserably, having been quite healthy before that, and he was in a retirement home where they just had no COVID precautions because it's Florida. And like he definitely didn't need to die then. And he definitely didn't need to die that way, you know? And I do think there's an extent to which it's like, okay, the older a person is, to some extent, it's a little easier, to me anyway, to kind of accept like, yeah, eventually there's, you know, you can look at it like, well, there's less time lost, right? But it's like, you know, he might have lived another week, he might have lived another month, a year, 10 years even. Like, people do live into their low hundreds, right? Like, and... And some people do that in a very fulfilled, happy fashion. And some people are like waiting for death, right? right. And, and those are obviously very different experiences. And, you know, it, it just, it's like, I just would like people to at least value other people's lives as much as those people value their lives, you know? Yeah. Not that you can't value it more than they do. That's fine too. But like, it, you know, it. It's just very upsetting to me how little I feel like people care about older people. And by older people, I mean, like, people older than them. You know, like, most people, someone who's 10 or more years older, who's not directly related to them, they just don't seem to care that much. And I find that very upsetting. Yeah, I mean, to me, I I can think of two perfect examples of this. Um, First, I just want to, like honor like kind of what you shared and I really appreciate you kind of the, the vulnerability and, and, and talking about that stuff because I think it's very it's very true Thank you. and for me there's kind of two things that have come to mind one real life one in fiction but that they both speak to this you know and one is like around COVID um, you know there was a lot of talk about like oh well but the people who are most affected are the elderly and that you know we shouldn't be worried about them as much and, 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 and just a lot of really horribly ageist discussion mm-hmm. of the idea of who is at risk the other part was, and I, I admit, I've never thought about this until this moment. I think if Obi-Wan Kenobi had been 40 years old in A New Hope, his death would have meant, would have hit in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Because there is this element of he's lived a full life, he did what he needed to do, and this is kind of a nice coup de grace on his life. You know, this is a nice, like... I'm do I'm I'm leave I'm gonna die soon, so I'm gonna go out in the best possible way. And I think if yeah, if Obi Wan looked and and was known to be a much younger person, where it's like yeah, I'm sacrificing myself to Darth Vader, or I could be your mentor for forty more years right. and do all the other things I could want to do for forty more years, that would hit very very differently. I think so too, and I mean to the point where you know Qui Gon dying, I think to most people feels yeah. more like. A tragedy. Now, there is the aspect that Obi-Wan did actually seem to be sort of at peace with, okay, this is my decision, really. Right. Right. Um, but I, I do yeah, think Qui-Gon, that's... Qui-Gon wanted to win that fight in a way yeah. Obi-Wan did not. Right, exactly. I will say, though, I think that in terms of the writing, I think that's incredibly ageist because, I mean, first of all, Alec Guinness was like 60 then. And yeah. I'm not sure how old Obi-Wan actually now figures out to be. Like, I'm not sure exactly the math and, like, when he's supposed to be born. And I'll say years in Star Wars always, like, I know they have some kind of, right. oh, well, there's a core system and this, the yada, yada, yada. But, like, I, like Obi-Wan, yeah, he was, like, 60 and he was a Jedi. Like, could he not have trained 
Luke for another 40 years? No, it's this trope of like killing the mentor. And that partially is supposed to kind of like put the hero out on their own. But it's this Mm -hmm. idea that the story is the kid's story. And without getting into any of the details of the sequel trilogy, I, and without talking about like the, the new characters versus the old characters, I think the fact that all the old characters are treated like they are a, like, they are there for the service of the younger characters, basically, I, I kind of think is incredibly messed up, you know? Yeah. And is one I'm of the sure. things, one of the reasons that I basically was like, I'm not even going to watch the eighth movie before I even knew anything about what, I was just like, 100% such and such is going to happen. I'm not really interested in that. I will, yeah. I do have a little bit of a sort of counter to my own point, which is I believe that in the world in which we live in, um, or like the country in which you know I'm presently stuck, uh, the United mm-hmm. States, there is kind of the opposite when it comes to like like yes, younger lives are valued more, except when it comes to like politics. In which case, granted, there's a lot of ageism. Someone's like, oh, would you say that you know no one should ever be allowed to be president when they're over 65? I'm like, no. But I mean, I also think 35 is like too high an age, but like whatever. But the point being that I think there is way too much power concentrated in in the hands of a small number of people who skew towards being older, whereas, you know, whereas like value is placed on younger people's lives, which is this really weird kind of dynamic, I think. There's this wonderful speech by a Christian pastor. You may have seen it because it's been going around a lot, but it talks about how that like one of the most screwed up things about the whole like, you know, forced birth movement is that I'm trying to, I wish I could remember the exact wording. If I could find it, I'll post it. But it says that like the unborn are a wonderful group to advocate for. Mm. And I think this is true for kids in general is that because like, you know, you advocate on behalf of women. Well, women are likely to tell you, actually, we would like this, not that, right, you know, right. like same with most groups. But kids, especially the unborn, yeah. but also to younger kids in general, like you can say, no, this is what kids need. This is what kids want because they can never – they're never going to be ugly. They're never going to be actually not the per- – you know, think about how often, um, you know, you know, a, a black person gets killed by the police and the immediate effort is to try to like say, oh, well, this wasn't a perfect black person. You know, they got – this person may have had some kind of like arrest in their past or they had a fight with a romantic partner. Like They weren't a perfect person. That shouldn't mean they get to be killed by the cops. Right. But it makes the story harder. There's nothing like that for the unborn. You know, right. for the, 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 you know, that what they call that, I would just say fetal life, you know, whatever it is. Um, so I think that's true. I think another thing that, that, that came to mind a lot as you were talking, and this is kind of going back a bit, but I think for me... And, and I think this is somewhat problematic. There are deaths that we think of as expected and things that we feel are wrong, you know? Mm. And so, like, for an adult child to deal with the death of their adult parent, if an adult child dealing with the death of their non-adult parent, there's a whole other problem. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> people that, are into that's that a whole step-parent thing into that. and whatever. Yeah, I like, don't know. If you are an adult, especially not like, you know, a college, if you, you know, you have some adult experience in your life, for you to deal with the death of your parent 
it's expected, you know? And I think it kind of like what you're saying with your mother. Like, when my mother died, I was in my 30s. Mm-hmm. This wasn't a, like, oh, my God, I can't imagine that happened to you. Whereas I do think, like, you know, someone's parents dying when they're a child is in that level of, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened to you. And even more so, a parent dealing with the death of their child is in that level of, like, you know, and I and so I think the – and that that's – that's a fairly recent thing, you know, like 400 years ago, you were expected to try to have five children because if two of them lived to age five, you were winning. You right, know? right. Like um, there's this thing in Jewish law that like as part of the gets into that whole choice stuff. Like there are very rigid rituals in, in some parts of Judaism, not rigid, but like very known rituals in Judaism about what you're supposed to do when someone dies in terms of like taking seven days uh, that's where the word shiva comes from. Right. It's Hebrew for seven, mm. maybe Yiddish for seven, but, you know, of boarding. You're not supposed to do that unless the child is at least a week old because at the time the, these traditions were come up with, the whole society would stop. Right, you know? right. The infant mortality rate was just so high. Right. Whereas today, infant mortality is a huge tragedy. And I actually know like some Jewish activists who are trying to, like, change that because yeah. it's like, you know, and all of which is just going to say, like, I think that to me, it's part of why I, I think I think it is, and this is going to tie into kind of the next thing I wanted to talk about. Although we, the number of times that Paul, you and I have said, <laughs> okay, we can't really get a full topic out of this. Let's tack on two or three things. It's fifty minutes. We've mostly had enough time on this, but I just I want to connect so. it to the, a related thing, which is the idea of content warnings. Um, and I think we'll have a different conversation at a different time about content warnings. I I think though, for me. Having a content warning around the death of a child, I get why that's one where in particular people feel a need for it. I think because, again, it's the, like, this feels so wrong, Mm, you know? mm -hmm. And, like, in the first couple months after my mother died, if I saw a movie about someone whose parent died, it'd be upsetting to me. But I, like, you know, people who I know who lost kid, who are parents whose children died, like... 20 years later, they can't ever watch something that has that content in it because it would just be emotionally devastating to them. Sure. Because it's a reminder of this, you know, tragedy that, as we're taught, we being me and everybody else, not sure, you. Sure, sure. Fair. Um, you're, you're off on your mountain. That's fine. appreciate um, But that, you know, that is one of those things that shouldn't happen. So, like, there's a lot we can say about content warnings, and I think we, we actually do get a lot of that in, into a lot of that in our last Kenobi episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll probably revisit it at some point. But I think that to me is why the content warning specifically about the killing of kids, as much as I am on board with this, like, let's maybe not have the, like, kid's life is the greatest in the world and everyone else's life not as important. I do get why that content warning is there because I think that the way our society is, is built around these things, I get why that would be much more traumatic. Yeah. I mean, I I do think that's a fair thing to say that – you know, on average, something like that is going to be more true. Like, losing a child is going to be, on average, more right. traumatic than losing a parent for most people. Right. Right. And that um, that seeing something like that, maybe not even having lost a child, but maybe just having a child, right? Or, yeah. or even just having kids that you're close with that you care about, right? Um, like nieces, nephews, cousins, whatever, uh, students, I, I think 
um, I, you know, I can I can understand how that's um, that feels like maybe that warrants something that something else doesn't warrant. I, I just feel that like I don't know. Nobody cares about content warnings for the things that upset me, you know. Yeah. And it's like I feel like I think there a better system would just be probably a better version of like did the dog die because like i kind of looked at the website i'm like this could probably use some work you know but i appreciate the effort i applaud the effort and you know i I just think that like it these types of things are usually like we want to have some specific thing because we think we're supposed to like i i kind of don't feel you know like they they took the the two towers out of spider-man you know the first toby Maguire spider-man like Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just leave them in. What yeah. you know what I mean? And they were gonna not name the two towers the two towers, and then they're like, and, and right, you and I are speaking here as Mordor. New Yorkers who spent an awful lot of time at the World Trade Center. Yeah, we used to if go play games. I almost, I almost got killed by something falling off the top of it one time, like a freaking ice chunk. Yeah, and like I, I mean, I, I saw was a mile the, away. I yeah. I saw one of the planes with my own eyes. Yeah, like, I, I walked there and saw the pillars of smoke and was like, huh, there there used to be buildings there. It was it was very upsetting, you know, as yeah. much as like, yes, the comedy special that I will never actually record would be called 911 is a joke, um, like the the public enemy thing, you know, mm-hmm. but like with a slash. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, um, there would be a disclaimer at the beginning of that, but it would be funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but basically, because like it was 21 years ago and the United States has allowed it to dominate policy to the point of like, like who won that one? Yeah, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> not the U.S. The U.S. lost that not by getting attacked, but by responding exactly the way that was intended to. You know the effect it created. So, like, nice job, people. Yeah, I can't I wear my that's... shoes in an airport line anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I one hundred percent with you. And, yeah, and I think that that's I think that's another thing that factors into this a lot is that yeah, I'm. For anyone who doesn't know, there's a website called Does the Dog Die. Which does what I think it – I agree it could be much better and I think it should be done like officially instead of just by like random fans watching these things. But the idea is that instead of saying that like, okay, these issues warrant trigger warnings and these issues don't, like instead of it's just like, look, here's all these different things that could trigger someone. Right. If you're concerned about being triggered, you go to the website and you say, yeah, like for me it might be, you know, depictions of sexual assaults. For someone else it might be like, yeah, seeing an animal be be mm-hmm. mistreated. For someone else it might be, you know, seeing uh, a miscarriage or like, you know, a still, you know, uh, an infant death, you know, yeah. whatever it is. For someone else it could be like having your house burned down because that's what happened to you. Like trauma doesn't make any sense and it doesn't have to make any sense. Right. Triggers well, we're talking about like being I mean, I mean, like actually like PTSD triggers, but just the things that are going to upset you because they remind you of trauma don't have to be logical. Right. And and yeah, I love that idea of let everyone figure that out for themselves and and give people that warning without it it being a spoiler for everybody else. Right. <clears throat> and that was connected to something originally that I was talking about, but that I just don't remember it all now. So. Infant mortality. <laughs> I I did. I, I do have oh. a friend who had a, a five day old who died and mm-hmm. they post about it every year on on the birthday i believe and yeah. you know and and talk about it and it, it's a thing that you know they talk about how a lot of people don't understand how that's like a big deal like how that oh, yeah. person could have mattered to them because they were only 5 days old and that's like the opposite right of the yeah. like oh well that's not a person yet and like 
you know, I, I, I get how like yeah. some people were like, oh, well, I don't want to kind of attach to a person until like I think they're going to make it kind of. But like also how horrible that must be. I mean, I've mm-hmm. never been through something I mean, like I, that. I, I've always said I think that's one of the worst things about how politicized abortion and thus fetal life has become is that <clears throat> in my work, I met when I did counseling around these issues, I would often meet people who had had, you know, miscarriages uh, at some point or stillbirths or something like that where they felt afraid to talk about how much it affected them mm. because it was like, am yeah. I therefore granting too much value to, you know, my fetus? Because for me, it felt this was a child I wanted, right. you know, and that kind of stuff. And yeah. and I think it also goes to kind of what we are saying before about, like, it's easier to deal with something if you understand that it, like, it, it, not that everything should happen, but that it does happen, you know, a right. lot. And that that's one issue where people never talk about it to each other. So you often don't realize, like, yeah, if you've had, you know, a miscarriage or something like that, often probably eight other people you know have dealt with this, but no right. one talks about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so. Which to me, I'll, I'll just say it seems like a reason to actually feature that in some fiction, mm-hmm. you know, but I can also understand why. Like there's things that I, I see very specifically that I'm like, I would like to see that represented, but I do not want to watch it, you know. Yeah, and yeah. I mean – I don't think it even deals with an actual loss, but like the movie Up, you know, mm, it's a Pixar yeah. movie. It's a fun movie wow. about a talking dog later, but it has probably one of the most emotionally disturbing scenes that I think I've ever seen in a movie, let alone an animation movie, which is, you know, th- this family realizing that they're they're not going to be able to c- become pregnant. Right. Um, right. And it was I think it was very well done. I don't think it was manipulative. I think it was yeah. incredibly beautiful filmmaking, but I know people who – are so upset that they didn't know that was going to happen going in because it devastated them. Mm, right. You know? Yeah, and, I could see and that. Yeah, it's, and yeah, it's, you're right. It's The representation matters, but also give people the chance to be like, nope, I know what that's like. I don't need to see it again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And for me, that's not just like picking and choosing whose tragedies matters and giving them warnings, but like, yeah, having a system that is more opt-in, I think, would yeah. be fantastic. Exactly, exactly. One last question I'm going to ask you, Paul, and for anyone who thinks I'm about to be entirely insensitive, Paul and I have talked about this before, and Paul said he's happy talking about it. You know, you're someone who talks about how you, your, your father, you lost your father at a young age, and I know two of your absolute favorite characters, Batman and Daredevil, the same thing is true of them. Yeah. Um, what is that? Is, like, have there been times when those stories weren't things you could, you could li- watch, or were they cathartic in any way, or is it just totally unconnected? I think uh, it was never something that I felt like I couldn't watch. Um, I wouldn't really use the word cathartic either. I would say that I do feel like I relate to those characters more than I would if that hadn't been my experience. And, you know, I think in general, I mean, I always thought we were meant to relate to superheroes, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I think the fact that so many superheroes lose one or more parents when they're young has actually made that like easier for me. Yeah. You know? I see that. And like and similarly like Luke and you know at some point I was like, why don't any of these characters have parents? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when they're adults, like none of them. And to the point where I found myself writing characters that like never had parents. And then I was like, all right, well, maybe let's maybe let's sometimes have some parents for some of these people, you know. Right. Yeah, I'm guessing a big part of it is the like just from a pure storytelling standpoint, keeping a secret identity 
while you have parents who knew you before, right. you know, it gets a lot harder. And mm-hmm. then, you know, or it's a story like, like, I would say that Clark Kent technically does not have parents, but he has adult figures who parented him who are a major part of his life throughout his life, you know? And, and in some ways, therefore, he's like, he's not an orphan, I think, in the same same way that like a Batman or many of these other characters are. Yeah, I mean, Clark Kent is a, an orphan who was adopted at birth. And I mean, I would call them his parents, you know, like yeah. they're his adopted parents. He, his his biological parents are dead. They got blown up with his entire planet, except right. for whoever was conveniently saved who can then show up in later episodes. But, you know. It's kind of like the Jedi who escaped Order 66. There's as many as the plot demands. Exactly. As, exactly as many as the plot <laughs> demands. So, you know, I, I do think that, yeah, Clark Kent's a little different, right? Yeah. Um, you know, whereas like, there's a difference between Batman and maybe the reason that Batman always felt the most relatable to me was like Batman did grow up in a house with one adult looking over him, you know, right. and was like, okay, you know, whereas like Daredevil was, was in an orphanage, right? He was, yeah. um, you know, and, and I think those are, you know, those are different experiences, I imagine. Right. Uh, neither of those have been exactly my experience, but growing up in a place that was comfortable enough with, you know, one adult. That, that's yeah. that's my experience, right? So that kind of matches Batman. Yeah, and it does make you wonder, like, why is Peter Parker's why is Peter Parker raised by his aunt and uncle? Right. You know, and then his uncle, he, he's sort of both because on the one yeah. hand, like, his parents are dead. Yeah. But then also one of the two parental figures who raises him dies as part of his origin story. Right. Um. And you know, that, yeah, and like, that, I find that actually very relatable, you know, also. Yeah. Like, for, he's basically yeah, like, like, Aunt why May just, and my mom. Why his isn't that is just May. his mother and father instead of it being his aunt and uncle, you know? Right, yeah. What, that's, that's a choice, right? And I think the choice is to add a little bit of separation. And I think with heroes often, you know, it's the reason they kill off Kenobi in, um, yeah. um, in the Kenobi series. No, I'm just kidding. Obviously that, you know... That, <laughs> That that's the fakest of all fake spoilers, right? I'm not a fan of fake spoilers, but it's like I mean, I don't know, maybe they do in the last episode, who knows? But I I gotta figure he makes it through to a new hope. Like unless I they're just going way off is, the rails. I mean that could explain the aging as if it's a clone Kenobi, but just right. the cloning is done badly. Would, do you know the theory like Obi One was like this was like an old theory? Obi One Kenobi was like old Ben one. And that it was like the Clone Wars, and so there were, you know, there was like other ben, old Bens that he was a clone, oh, wow. <laughs> and like maybe that was gonna be a story. Who knows? You know, uh-huh. obviously that's Could not be. where they went with it, but yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, I, I do think that often they try and like remove all of the kind of people that you know the hero can go to for support. Right. To kind of like kick the hero out, put them on their own, and then they have to like make it on their own and figure things out themselves. And so there's this uh, hesitance to have characters who could serve too much as a mentor for too long, because I think there's an idea that that doesn't let the hero totally develop. That's one of my favorite things in one particular anime, actually, that that's not exactly how it goes. And I kind of like that, Mm -hmm. you know, but um, but yeah, I like. Yeah. At least in the MCU, there's definitely char- – like, we never heard what happened to um, Ant-Man's parents. We never heard what happened to, like, Mr. and Mrs. Banner. We've never heard what happens to – you know, but but they that's the thing is they just never appear, you know? Right. Um, most of the time, if we learn about someone's parents, 
it's because they died tragically when they were young or they died in a way that was – they almost always die as part of the developing the plot of that character. You know, whether that's Iron Man For or sure. Natasha or, you know, uh, Captain America, they just died because he missed 50 years of aging. But, like – No. What? Captain America, his, his parents were dead before, right? There was, like, that whole funeral thing. Oh, you're right. right? Yeah, okay. Bucky's you're right. like, I'm with you till the end of the line or something. Yeah, yeah, Bucky's yeah. family kind of died. Okay, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there are any other – are there any MCU characters who have living parents who have been on screen in any way, shape, or form? Like besides like Thanos. Well, I guess he didn't make it, but spoilers <laughs> for Endgame. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's a good question. Um, I, <laughs> I mean, not Shang-Chi. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, not a lot. Not a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, uh, you know – the wasp, right? Yeah. And but her mother was gone from right. Exactly, she had that experience an hour months back. But like, yeah, it, it's it's just super standard. And I think it would be really nice. I I had a story I was gonna write about one of you know the spy or something who was gonna mm-hmm. have a whole secret life, whatever. But then he was gonna like drive up to the country and like go into some house. And, like, his parents are going to be like, oh, hi. So nice of you to visit. You know, it's just going to be, like, chilling with the parents who were retired yeah. spies who now, like, lived off in the country. And there was going to uh-huh. be absolutely nothing about the, them getting endangered or, like, anything happening to them. Like, that was just going to be, you know, the the actually the, like, secret life and, you know, the, um, you know, the home life or whatever were just going to stay completely separate. And it was just going to be mm-hmm. the kind of, like sort of detox, like, relaxing at the end of every episode kind of thing. Maybe I'll do yeah. that someday. I don't know. That could be fun. You kind of had that with Hawkeye. And yeah. even after the Hawkeye the show, you somewhat have that, although they yeah. kind of played with it a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah, they just they just got blipped a bit, just lost five yeah. years, became a, a homicidal, mass-murdering, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Punisher, basically. With a, And I'll say, a just from the... Just from the trailers of Ms. Marvel, it does – I mean, again, she's a teenage hero who's becoming a hero in that show. But at least just from the trailers, it does seem like she has a full family and who knows where that's going to go. Right. So. All right. Um, yeah, I think once again, our let's start with one topic and hit as many as we can. It's a complete and total failure because you and I are just pompous windbags. So you can talk about pretty much anything. Um, and that, yes, is a we that I will include you mm. in. Um, I'm insulted. Uh, uh, I mean, but also places- complimented at the same yeah, time. Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, where's other places that people can find what you're up to these days? Yeah, Twitch. Every morning at 10 a.m., I talk about poker. Today, I, I made a spreadsheet with um, a lot of percentages on it. I'm sure that'll that'll get everybody interested. Um, and then I might Twitch some other stuff at some point. I'm Zen Madman there. I'm Zen Madman on Twitter, where like I tweet random chess positions <laughs> and mm-hmm. stuff. And um, then we've got Zen Madman... Um, on YouTube and Zedman Madman Poker on YouTube, we're we're putting up some of these as videos, so you can check that out and um, subscribing. We, we were super both helpful. too lazy to get dressed up for today. So. Yeah, yeah, did, wasn't weren't feeling it. Is how I'm going to go. I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to go with lazy. I'm going to say wasn't feeling it. That's fair. That's fair. We both got a lot going on. A lot going uh, on. Yeah. So check out all that. I will say also on Paul's Twitter handle, uh, also on Paul's Twitter account. 
you'll see them posting stuff about like you know their favorite Batman episodes and stuff like that. Mm, and lots yes. of like we we get a lot of fun discussions about Star Wars. We've been getting a lot of great feedback, both about uh, Kenobi stuff, but also other things, mostly by email. But feel free to post it on Twitter, post it on Facebook if you want us to get in discussions with you. We would love to do that. Um, and of course, you can find all the ways to contact us by going to theethicalpanda.com. There you'll find our Facebook, Twitter, email, all the ways to contact us, including all the other podcasts I'm doing. I may have mentioned that I have a Star Wars podcast that's pretty <laughs> busy right now. Star Wars Universe podcast. Um, it's kind of good. I mean, the Kenobi numbers we're getting are fantastic and it's great. But I am I do have some great stuff lined up for you uh, back here on Superhero Ethics. I want to get these numbers up as well. We did a great episode on Stranger Things where... For some strange reason, one of our computers, uh, the guest of one of our computer, yeah, the computer of one of our guests, uh, sped up quite a lot. So the audio is just all kind of out of sync. Um, you know, we have this other episode we're trying to do on applying critical theory to the way we apply it, to the way we look at these things with um, uh, a wonderful uh, uh, pro- college professor who talks about this quite a lot. So I'm really looking forward to that. We do have a lot of great things coming up for you. And I was going to say to our Superhero Ethics fans, thank you for your patience. I know it's been a lot of Kenobi all the time. Thank you for sticking around. We are going to try and get these episodes out to you pretty pretty regularly. Um, I'm going to be going away. I'm doing some traveling this coming weekend, so I'm not positive we'll have another episode for next week, but I certainly hope we will. Um, but either way, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for continuing to be a great audience. And most importantly, as part of fandom, as fans, be excellent to each other. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only content. <laughs>